the stone, the terrible, raggedy, beat-up old stone that the builders cast aside become the cornerstone not of the building, but of the kingdom to come. Three stories, three songs. Join me for just a moment as we go back to the turn of the last century. Outside the little village of Pendleton, perhaps you've passed it on I-35. And somewhere around the turn of the last century, a little African-American boy is born. His family calls him Willie Johnson. Now his father, his father was a rounder and a bounder. His father apparently had girlfriends and interests beyond the home. And one day, his mother came home and found that his father had been with another woman. And in her rage, she picked up a bucket of lye. Now, for you young people, lye was used in the old days to clean clothes. And it's a terrible, terrible, strong, acidic, bleach-like substance. And she picked up the bucket and threw it at the father, and it missed. But the lye splashed across the face of little Willie Johnson and burned his eyes out. Six years old. Now, in the year 1900 in Texas, under Jim Crow law, and in a state where there was precious few opportunities for African Americans of any kind, you're six years old, and you're black, and you're blind. And Willie Johnson, though, had an ear for music. And according to his wife, years later, he would stand outside churches and listen to the churches play the music, the gospel songs of the day. And sometimes he'd stand outside the honky-tonks too. And he found some old piano wire, and he got someone to cut it in a cigar box, and he made a rudimentary guitar. And he stood on street corners playing that little handmade guitar with a tin cup attached to the neck and people would leave if they were feeling generous pennies. Until he had enough pennies to buy a real guitar. And he had friends and maybe a wife and maybe another little black boy and they would take him to Waco and Marlin and Clifton and Calvert and as far north as Dallas and as far south as Austin. And he would stand on street corners and he would sing these old hymns, these old gospel songs. And standing in the elements, singing six, eight, 10, 12 hours a day in the Texas cold and the Texas sun, doesn't do wonders for your voice. And he developed essentially two voices. One was, as best as I can describe it, a, a natural bass trying to sing soprano while gargling with rocks. <laughs> and then a more natural voice that he only used very rarely. And in those days, we had something called race music because African-Americans weren't allowed to go into many of the stores that sold the other kind of popular music of the 1920s. And in some stores, they would have bins of 78s. Now, 78, I should have brought a prop here, Mary, for the young people 
Well, it's, it's a device that played music. It was flat and it was black and it was made of vinyl. And you could get one song on either side. This is not going to make any sense at all, is it, to the infant? And a talent scout heard Blind Willie singing. Now, the story is he heard him in Dallas, but there's another story that they heard him in Marlin. And that it was on the same day on a opposite street corner, Blind Lemon Jefferson was singing the blues. And he signed them both. And he took him to Dallas to a furniture store, which is where the recording studios of the day were. And he had him record 10 songs, for which he was paid $25. And over the period of the next year or two, they released these songs. And they did so well, even during the Great Depression, that they went to New Orleans and had him record 10, 12 more. And then the Depression really hit. And as you know, the Great Depression hit people who are already poor, who are already black, who are already disenfranchised, worse than anybody else. And the music industry collapsed, particularly among African Americans, except for, interestingly enough, recorded sermons, which continued. And we lose sight of Blind Willie Johnson until about 1942. And the census records have him living at a little shack on Forest Avenue. And when he and his wife arrived in Forest Avenue in December of 1942, it was already the coldest winter in many, many years. And Blind Willie did the one thing he knew how to do. He took his guitar and he stood on a street corner near the White House in downtown Beaumont and he sang. And that night he came home and because he was blind and didn't know the layout of his new little shack, they were kept warm and had light by a single propane lighter and he knocked it over. And it set the roof of the propane shack afire. Now the neighbors heard and came and put it out, but it had burned away the roof. And not having anywhere else to go, they stayed in their shack without a roof on that cold December night on the wet ground. And the next morning, Blind Woody got up and did it again. And the next morning after that, he got up in the early dawn and sang again, but by now he had a cold. And by the fourth day, he went and he sang and the cold turned into pneumonia. And by the fifth day, he could hardly move. And his wife dragged him down to St. Elizabeth's Hospital. And there he was met by a nun on the steps. And I'm paraphrasing here. She said, we don't want your kind in this hospital. And his wife dragged Blind Willie home and he died. Another casualty in America's long war with itself over civil rights. One of the songs he recorded was an adaptation of an old black gospel song that's hardly in any hymn books anymore. And it's apparently a first take, just blind Willie had a single microphone on his battered guitar using a slide, perhaps a piece of metal, a tube, maybe a baby bottle. But in three minutes, he recorded Dark as the Night, Cold as the Ground, and it sounded like this.
he didn't sing on that one song. In the black church, what he's doing is called moaning. And if you know your Blake, you know sometimes prayer is called inarticulate speech of the heart. And perhaps he was having a conversation that words failed him on. Perhaps he was having a conversation with his guitar. It sounds like this is a call and response of some kind. And the choice of dark is the night, cold is the ground is certainly not accidental. And that's where the story would end, except for in God's economy, they never end like that. Fast forward to 1978. In the United States, which after the great blush of the moonwalk has kind of fallen back somewhat on the space race, but has decided once again to put something into space and they create the Voyager, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. Perhaps you remember the Voyagers. And the Voyagers were going to do something that nothing else had ever happened before. They were going to go into the universe. No return. They weren't manned. They were just going to keep going. And they were going to tell humankind what was out there, past the planets, past the asteroids, past the influence of the sun, and send back data. And they were going to send them about a month apart. But in the months before they decided to send them, somebody said, well, you know what? What if, what if something or somebody finds these? What if there is something out there? And all they know is this machine about the size of a Volkswagen in its earliest stages came from us. And they realized that gold does pretty well in the absolute void cold of space. And they said, why don't we create a gold record, literally a gold record. Never and we'll put a rudimentary needle on it and we'll put instructions yet. how to play it. And on it, 
will have Never greetings. We come in peace from all the rulers of the world at the time. And then somebody else said, well, if you think that's a good idea, how about if we also do music? And they talked about that. They said, you're right. Let's include music as well. So they got bits of a Beethoven symphony and the music of the Yoruba people of Africa. They got a little bit of pan music. They got a Bach. They got pieces from all of the music, but they didn't have anything from the 20th century. So they pulled all these musicologists and journalists and scholars. By the way, the man doing this was Carl Sagan, who had the idea that perhaps this was a good idea. And they came up with a solo by Louis Armstrong, and they still had three minutes. So they pulled all the musicians that they could find. What should be the other song from the 20th century? And even though his music had been out of print for 40 years, and only a few known copies of Dark as the Night, Cold as the Ground were available, they had been passed around and shared by guitarists and musicians so much that that was the song that was chosen, and it is on the Voyager today, which we still hear from as it continues where the Lord knows where. And I really hope that maybe somebody something does hear. Somebody does find it. And they would know the heart of a man. They would know humanity at its best, expressed in this inarticulate moan of the poorest of the poor, the rock that was rejected. Now, about the same time that Voyager was going off, a musician in Dallas, in uh, London, Song number two. His name is Gavin Breyer, and he wants to make experimental music. And that's a hard way to make a living. People can't dance to it. So he's working as a sound man for the BBC, for the BBC documentary section. And they're doing a documentary on homelessness in the UK. Now, there's not many homeless folks in the UK. They take pretty good care of their people. But there are some. And if you've made the mistake and turned left instead of right outside a King's Cross station, you'll run into one of their favorite haunts. And that's where they were. This whole team of documentary filmmakers filming and interviewing the homeless in England. And Briars is trailing them with one of those giant boon mics. And his deal is to get the ambient sound and when they talk, get close and get a second copy of interviews. And while they were setting up for another interview of a little homeless person by one of the dumpsters, he sees off to the side what he later described as a tramp sitting off to himself. And the tramp was singing to himself. Jesus' love never failed me yet. Never failed me yet. Jesus' love never failed me yet. This one thing I know, that he loved me so. Jesus' blood never failed me. Now, they didn't use that in the documentary. And the documentary fans, then Briars went on, got another job, and eventually started creating a career for himself as a musician. And finally, he has a nice atrium office near what is now the Canary Wharves. And he was going through a box of his old reel-to-reel tapes, and he came across a tape that said, Little Tramp Sings. Now, I should stop here and say that Briars, and I've talked to him, is not a Christian. Briars is not a believer. 
And he put the reel-to-reel on, and something about the little tramp's voice and what he said struck a chord. So an idea came to him. And this is really hard back in the days before digital. He said, I'm going to copy it and copy it again and copy it again and copy it again. And you can do that because the little ditty happens to begin and end on the same note, like a round, like row, row, row your boat. And so he did, and he set up his tape recorder on his other tape recorder, and he began it running. And it's going to take a while, so he goes down and gets some tea. This is England, after all. And he leaves his door open because it's England, after all. And when he comes back, all of the people on his floor are standing around his doorway listening to this little ditty by this little homeless man played over and over, and some are in tears. So Breyer says, I don't know what I have here, but I think it's something. And so he took that to the studio, and he hired a bunch of musicians. And he would play it through, and he would have two guitars and a viola the first time through. And then when the tramp would sing it again on the repeat, he would add a viola and take away a guitar. And then he would add a string quartet and take away the viola. And just continued until he had 90 minutes of song like a mantra, the little man's voice with this wave of music going over and over like this. And we obviously don't have time to play the full 90 minutes, but Steve is going to play a couple minutes of Jesus' love never failed me yet. Jesus' blood never failed me yet. Never failed me yet. Jesus' blood never failed me yet. This one thing I know, for he loved me so. Jesus' blood never failed me yet. Never failed me yet. Jesus' blood never failed me yet. This one thing I know, for he loved me so. Jesus' blood never failed me yet. Never failed me yet. Jesus' blood Never failed me yet. This one thing I know, for he loved me so. Jesus' blood never failed me yet. Never failed me yet. Jesus' blood never failed me yet. This one thing I know, for he loved me And then Gavin took the song to his recording label, which mainly did experimental jazz type music, and they were struck with it. And they released it, Jesus' Blood Never Failed. And it became an underground hit. Thousands of copies were sold. Never made the Billboard charts. 
but it was sold and given away and given away. I was doing Billboard magazine at the time, and I wrote one of the very first stories on it. And I listened to my copy when I got it. And I had just lost my job, going through a divorce. I really didn't have many prospects at the moment. But I did have my little CD player, and I sat in the dark and played it with only the red lights of the CD and listened to the little tramp sing, Jesus' blood never failed me yet. And after the song and the album became something of a hit, Breyer said, you know what? I'm making all this money, and the guy who did all the work is not getting nothing. So he went back to the King's Cross station to try to find the little tramp. Of course, nobody knew of him. He went to the social services agencies. He went to the homeless, or he talked to other homeless people. He talked to the people who had been at the recording, the taping of the event. And not only did none of them know anything about it, nobody even remembered the little tramp being there. So I talked to Gavin for Billboard, and he said, I am not a Christian, and I don't believe in angels. I don't know what else that was. That album is still in print, that CD. And many, many people have received comfort from another stone that was rejected that became a cornerstone. One last song. Somewhere in the 15th century in Ireland, singing bards were considered more important than kings and were probably would have been a, done a better job than kings, probably today too, I would think. And there were many songs and melodies that were created, some of which endure to this day. And one got the name of O'Carolan's Lament. Now, O'Carolan was one of the great bards of the day. And of course, we don't know what it exactly sounded like, but it was handed on through pipers and fiddlers and singers as just a melody, I'm sorry, not singers, just instrumentalists for hundreds and hundreds of years. And finally, somewhere in the early 18th century, somebody puts the music on paper. And because where the person had heard it was near the town of Londonderry, they called it a Londonderry air. And maybe you know it and maybe you don't. Kristen, maybe you could play just a few notes of Londonderry air on the piano for the people who don't know what I'm talking about here. Would that be all right? He says, sure.
so you know it, right? Maybe you know it as Danny Boy. That was one of, thank you, Kristen, hundreds and hundreds of versions of this, both gospel songs and pop songs that continued to be recorded because something about that melody touched people. Something about that melody. Now, maybe because it's one of those folk songs that has endured so long, like Shenandoah or Loch Lomond. There's something, something ineffable about it that catches us in a way that many pop songs and frankly not every gospel song does. Maybe there is something unearthly or maybe there's something transcendent about certain songs. The Celtic people say there are thin places on the planet. Thin places where heaven and earth touch ever so briefly. Perhaps you felt one of those. Perhaps there are songs. In some traditions in the black church, they call anointed songs. And, and something about that, about a song by an unknown bard 10,000, 1,000 years ago maybe, that's still being sung today, a melody that endures even today, means that maybe, just maybe, there's some kind of power in this that we're not paying proper attention to. That we're not paying attention in our prayers and in our silent moments. Maybe we're not paying attention to the rocks that the builder discarded that became the cornerstone. And somewhere in the 1970s and 80s, a songwriter took once again that melody and she added words to it and of all the different versions, this one has survived, particularly in the black church. And a couple months ago, we were at a concert at beautiful old Tolliver Chapel. And Melvin Butler, the great gospel scholar who's also a recording artist on saxophone, and Horace Maxwell from the School of Music at Baylor, were playing an instrumental evening of gospel music. And in the middle of all of that, they went into what I was thinking was London Derriere. And it hit me. And I looked around, and it hit a lot of the white people there, too. There were a lot of tears. And then he continued playing, and it hit a lot of the black people. And they were in tears. And I realized we were all focused in on the same melody, just with the words, something about it. What he did was a song, and the lyric, some of the lyrics are on the front page of your bulletin, that I think speaks most appropriately to what we're talking about today. He looked beyond our fault and saw our need. I've asked Kristen and Jocelyn if they would sing it because they could do it so much better than I ever could tell you. Song of praise. 
sermon, everything after that is anticlimactic, <laughs> except for to say this, beyond all faults, beyond my faults, we are all wounded people. We are all people in pain. We are all sinful people. The Bible says so. We are all the stone the builders rejected, and yet the God of the universe, the God of multiple universes, the God that put this together 
loves us. Loves us with a passion that we can hardly understand. And in the song, and in London Derriere, and look beyond our thoughts, and dark is the night, we touch just a moment. The eminence, the, the transcendence is that the God that's there with us always is inside us always and loves us just as we are, wants us to be better, wants us to do right, but there is nothing we can do that will separate us from the love of God. Nothing now, nothing tomorrow, nothing forever. God has forgiven me. Jesus has forgiven me. Some of you have forgiven me. Not that I was worthy, not that I deserved it, because that's what God does.